Welcome to Rams Up, your weekly L.A. Rams podcast, bi-weekly during the season. We are a proud member of the Pigskin Podcast Network. We'll cover other SoCal sports items of interest, but we're mostly about your Los Angeles Rams. I'm your host, Mark. Let's get to it. Welcome back, Ram fans. And, you know, I normally drop on Thursday mornings this one week. I had good reason to slide it back a day. And what a happy accident that was. Big news breaking Thursday afternoon. The Rams have signed Odell Beckham Jr. Crazy. Didn't see this coming. The Rams definitely had a need at wide receiver. They've lost two, Tutu Atwell, out for the year. And Deshaun Jackson wanted out. The Rams granted him that wish. And then wide receiver tight end Jacob Harris gets hurt last week. He's out for the year. That reduced the Rams' wide receiver room to Cooper Cup, Robert Woods, Van Jefferson, and Ben Skowernick. Obviously, one of the better groups in the NFL, but very vulnerable. Really no viable depth after those four. But I thought they'd add somebody, and in fact, they tried to add Josh Reynolds, put a claim in on him, but the Lions took him. Thought he would have been perfect to fill that void. But what did the Rams do? The Rams reach out to Odell Beckham's camp and say, hey, we're interested, but we don't have much money to spend. OBJ's camp says, hey, don't give up. Let's continue talking. Meanwhile, Rams players are reaching out to him, courting him for Los Angeles. Then Ramsey got Beckham on speakerphone with a bunch of Ram players at the Thursday morning practice, making one final push for the Rams cause. And apparently it worked. And this might make a little more sense of OBJ's interest in the Rams. Apparently Sean McVay called him and spent some time detailing to him how the Rams would utilize his skill set and how they would maximize his contributions to the team surrounded by Cup, Woods, and Stafford. Now who wouldn't want to be a fly on the wall during that conversation? And actually, it didn't take a whole lot. Prior to the signing, the Rams had $2.3 million in cap space. That's all. But because of the money OBJ will be collecting from Cleveland, $4.25 million, the Rams could offer Beckham a fairly small contract with the opportunity to perhaps play in a Super Bowl. Now, again, I don't really see this as a need, but it does give us incredible insurance. We now have four extremely competent wide receivers, and Ben Skowernick, who has looked promising. How are they going to use OBJ? I would think that they're going to share snaps between him, Jefferson, and Woods. Cup may even lose a few snaps. Rotate those four in. I don't think they're going to sit down Jefferson. Going to spread the wealth. I hope that's what they do. But man, this is a luxury that apparently we can afford. So it's good news. When I Heard he was going to Green Bay. I thought that was kind of bad news because Green Bay could really use him. And that's a team we're going to have to deal with in the playoffs most likely. But I didn't really think the Rams were losing out on anything. It's like, hey, move on. We're okay. And I wasn't thrilled with his clubhouse antics over the years. But now that he's a Ram, yeah, I got to admit, kind of jacked. Be interesting to see how the Rams use him, but got to be a good thing. Stafford and McVeigh 
and this wide receiver set we already have, pretty scary group. It's almost as important that we denied an NFC rival his services, meaning Green Bay. And by the way, Arizona was after Von Miller, so that may have been a motivating factor as well. We deny the Packers, OBJ, and we deny the Cardinals, Von Miller. Doesn't hurt that you're picking California over Wisconsin and Arizona either, if I dare say so. So welcome to LA, OBJ. Can't wait to see what you add to this offense. And concerns about his attitude and how many times he gets targeted and such. I assume Robert Woods and some of these other veterans will have a little chat with him. It's all about the big picture. It's all about the Super Bowl. You'll get your targets. You'll get your catches. You'll get your TDs. But this is a team, a team effort. And I would assume he's already bought into that before he signed with the Rams. What else do we have this episode? We have a preview of the Ram Niner game. We have our updated rankings and game picks. We have a little special sports pet peeve. Let's get through some other notes first. I already mentioned Jacob Harris out for the year. Brian Allen apparently banged up his elbow, and he may not play Monday night. Coleman Shelton reportedly taking snaps with the first team. They do not want to move Austin Corbett to center and shuffle that line anymore. Looks like they're just going to plug Shelton in there for Allen if Allen can't go. I also already mentioned the Rams tried to grab Josh Reynolds. Do you think he's upset that the Lions claimed him? He'll probably get more snaps there, but this offense in Los Angeles, I'm guessing that would be his preference. Hey, I was wrong. Mike Florio and Rodney Harrison both picked the Rams last week, probably because Derrick Henry was out, and kind of funny, they were both wrong. The Aaron Rodgers situation kind of winded down. He gets a $14,000 penalty, and the Packers get a $300,000 penalty. It's kind of strange because these penalties suggest it was for a violation a single violation. What really, what it really was, was a continuous violation over a three-month period. You probably could have called out 20 or 30 individual violations, which would have really added up to a giant fine. And I'll talk about this a little bit in our pumped, pissed, perplexed segment, but some teams in the NFL are not happy about this. I wanted to chime in on this Cassius March Tony Corrente fiasco. If any of you missed it, March, the Bears outside linebacker, sacked Ben Roethlisberger, and Corrente flagged him for taunting after the play, giving the Steelers a first down. This is really late in the game, two plus minutes left, I think, three plus minutes, somewhere in there. Really big call, and people weren't happy about it. By the way, Marsh is out of Mission Hills, California, out in the valley there. Went to Oaks Christian and UCLA. Surprised I wasn't familiar with him. He's been around, has not really stuck, though. He was drafted by the Seahawks, was with the Patriots, Niners, the Seahawks again, the Cardinals, the Jags, the Colts, and then, curiously, the Steelers last year, and now the Bears. So that's where this story starts. The Steelers cut Cassius Marsh last year. So now he's on the Bears. He sacks Roethlisberger does this little 
karate kick that I guess he's known for to celebrate, and then glares at the Steelers' sideline. Why did he stare at the Steelers' sideline? Because they had cut him. Is this taunting? I guess you could call that taunting. Corrente is watching him, sees him staring at the Steelers' sideline. Marsh turns to return to the Bears' sideline and takes a path very close to Corrente. And Corrente, who has his hand on his flag and is watching Marsh, sort of kind of backs into Marsh's path, resulting in what appears to be a little hip check to Marsh as he runs by. Really not a big deal. But it did look like Corrente was certainly not trying to get out of his way and maybe just a little bit trying to impede his path for whatever reason. And as soon as that happened, Corrente threw the flag. Now, a lot of people thought initially it was because they bumped into each other. I think that was just the final straw. I think he was thinking, pondering, should I throw this flag? I'm watching this guy stare at the sideline, and then he runs by me. Whatever went through Corrente's head to back into him a little bit, and then there went the flag. Now, in my opinion, no flag should have been thrown. This was borderline taunting, and I know taunting is taunting. You shouldn't be looking at the clock or the scoreboard, but you know what? You can't help but be aware that the Steelers are about to punt to give the ball back to the Bears in a Monday night football game where they have a chance to drive down and score and win the game. You don't throw that flag. Really bad look for the NFL, in my opinion. Corrente also had some other questionable calls against the Bears. So I don't know what Corrente was doing. It was just a really weird look. I was watching that game live and I was like, no, don't tell me. You just threw a flag for taunting in this situation for that. Really crazy. Now, March probably shouldn't stare at the opposing sideline in any situation. But you know what? If Corrente had thrown a flag for that, I don't think anyone would have noticed and no one would have cared. I wanted to touch on a couple of mistakes I made last week. In that Ram-Titan game, I said that it was Mike Pereira who questioned the enforcement of the low block on the kickoff. I said the announcers went to Mike Pereira. It was actually Terry McCauley, but in my defense, Mike Pereira is kind of synonymous with the ref expert. Kind of like Kleenex is tissue, chapstick is lip balm. Mike Pereira is referee expert. I just automatically went with the name Mike Pereira. My bad. And I also may have said Roger Saffold was drafted out of Illinois. It was Indiana. And does anyone see how similar the Rams season is going as compared to the Dodgers? The Dodgers won 106 games and finished second. They were rewarded with a home wildcard play-in game and then played San Francisco where the Giants had home field advantage. They won that and then they traveled to Atlanta, where Atlanta had home field advantage, and they lost. The Rams could theoretically finish 14-3 and and have to travel to, say, Tampa Bay, and then have to travel to, say, Arizona, and then have to travel to, say, Green Bay. And if they win all those, interestingly, they return home to play in the Super Bowl. 
And on that note, I'm also going to say that I do not think the NFC West is the class of the NFL anymore. I'd probably go with the AFC West, going off on a tangent here, but it just hit me today looking at the standings. Chiefs, Raiders, Chargers, Broncos stand up pretty well against the Rams, Cardinals, Seahawks, and Niners, especially if the Niners and Seahawks both lose this week, like I hope they will. Next up, our preview of that Ram 49er game. More is always better. That's why my bookie instantly doubles all first-time deposits. With double the funds, you can double your action and, more importantly, double your wins. Getting in on the action has never been easier. I can bet with all my favorite currencies, including crypto, and with all the extra scratch, why not get in on the biggest matchups of the week at my bookie? As we inch closer to the NFL playoffs, there are some pivotal games to be on the lookout for this weekend, including a showdown between divisional rivals when the San Francisco 49ers take on the Los Angeles Rams. Behind MVP candidate Matt Stafford, the Rams are looking to continue rolling as they take on the fierce 49er defense. The Rams are legit. Bet them to cover the spread. Don't wait. Head to MyBookie today to redeem your double deposit bonus so you can get in the game and start winning now. Use my promo code RAMSUP to receive double your first deposit instantly. That's promo code RAMSUP so you can double your funds to double your winnings. Bet anytime, anywhere with MyBookie. Let's get to our Ram Niner preview. Week 10 game, Monday Night Football at Levi Stadium. Game time's 5.15 p.m. Should be a beautiful day. I expect it to be in the mid to low 60s throughout the game. The 49ers lead this series 73-67 with three ties. The Niners have won the last four. That's what Niner fans refer to as owning the Rams, a four-game win streak. Whatever. Rams won the two before that. Any games that should be mentioned? Well, when you have a history like these two teams, there's a lot of games you could go to. I'm going to go to the 1999 game when the greatest show on turf was emerging. At this point, Ram fans knew we were really on to something. Kurt Warner and the Rams were 3-0 and at this point, but it was time to prove it against the 49ers and the Rams did just that. Winning the game 42-20, that broke a 17-game losing streak against the Niners. 17 games. That's how painful that was. And it was especially important to Isaac Bruce. That was his first win against the Niners, and he was very vocal in his dislike of the Niners. He had four TDs in that game, which made it all that more enjoyable. Another game that stands out to me was the 2014 game in San Francisco, the Rams won that game 13-10. to That was the game with the crazy play at the goal line. With nine seconds left, Colin Kaepernick trying to punch it in on a quarterback sneak. Big scrum, big pileup. James Laurinaitis emerges with the football, and the refs spend a little bit of time trying to sort that out, and it turns out the Rams get the ball and secure the win 13-10. to That was a wild finish. Another reason that game stands out for me is 
we were watching that game at this condominium complex my son lived at, and we lost our feed right before that play. Dish went out. I don't remember what happened, but no game for us. So we ran next door, pounded on the neighbor's door, and pleaded with her, hey, turn on your TV for us. And she let us in, put the game on for us, and we saw that last play sitting in her living room. Talk about Panic City. But the Isaac Bruce four-touchdown game, that's probably my favorite Ram-Niner showdown. 49ers coming off a year where they were just decimated by injuries. And how are they doing so far this year? I thought they were going to be a contender for the NFC West title. But not so much. 3-5 and five this year, 0-3 oh in the division. They have wins over Detroit, Philadelphia, and Chicago. Nothing to toot your horn over. They have two losses to Arizona already and losses to Green Bay, Seattle, and Indianapolis as well. So they've lost to some good teams. By the way, the 49ers have lost 10 of their last 11 home games. Give them that. Kyle Shanahan, 31-40 and 40 as head coach. To put that in perspective, Jeff Fisher was 31-45 and 45 as Rams head coach before losing his job. Shanahan's got to be on the hot seat a little bit, right? If he doesn't get things fixed by the end of the year, at least get this team pointed in the right direction, I'm not sure he's going to be around next year. I suspect he will, but he's got some proving to do for that front office. So maybe it wasn't all those injuries last year. Maybe it's just a combination of a lot of things. They have some injuries this year. This roster would appear to be good enough to compete with the best. Certainly better than a 3-5 and record. So kind of strange things going on up there in San Francisco. Key players on offense. Well, there's Jimmy G, of course. And the rookie quarterback, Trey Lance, who has not shown enough to take that job away from Jimmy. The big wide receiver, Debo Samuel, he's got it in for the Rams. Him and Aaron Donald had a little thing going on last year, remember? The tight end, Greg Kittle, one of the best in the business, just can't stay healthy. And he's hurt the Rams a lot over the years. In those four straight losses to the Niners, well, last year, Kittle missed a game. In the game he played in, he had seven catches for 109 yards and a TD. In 2019, he had... Five catches for 79 yards in a TD, and in the other game, eight catches for 103 yards. One of the best centers in the league, Alex Mack. The running back, Elijah Mitchell, has emerged as a real threat out of the backfield. I told you a few weeks ago that I love this guy. He's held off Trey Sermon, the third-round pick. Kind of softened the blow of losing Raheem Mostert yet again. On defense, Fred Warner... I think he might be the best linebacker in the league. Nick Bosa, one of the best pass rushers. And Eric Armstead holds it up in the middle. This team was really hurt by injuries in the secondary. I thought that was going to be the weak point. But so far, they've actually done well defending the pass, struggle against the run. They're two key draft picks, Trey Lance and Trey Sermon. And they have something in common. Trey Lance has not been able to dislodge Jimmy G., for that starting job, and that's kind of to be expected when you're talking about quarterbacks. But I do think there are concerns that Trey Lance is up to the task. The Niners may have missed on both these picks. Trey Sermon was a healthy scratch last week against Arizona, but that may 
be more due to the fact that Elijah Mitchell is doing so well. Statistically, their offense is middle of the pack. Jimmy G, 22nd in QBR. Matthew Stafford, for comparison, is first. Jimmy has thrown one less interception than Stafford, but Stafford has thrown 108 more passes. Jimmy has taken one more sack than Stafford, but again, not as many attempts. So far, their defense is 8th overall in yards per game allowed. They've been giving up 132 yards per game on the ground. They have 18 sacks, but 7 of them have been by Nick Bosa. So if you slow down Nick, you're going to be in really good shape. The Rams use more empty sets than any team in the NFL 19% of the time. And they struggled in that set against the Titans. But the reason I bring this up, the Niner defense is 30th in opponent QBR, 88.6, and 31st in yards per attempt, 10.3, when going up against empty sets. So this is something the Rams could have a big advantage in, running out of those empty sets. They just need to make sure they protect Stafford in those empty sets. If they can do that, they can really do some damage against this Niner defense. The offensive line with Mack and Trent Williams, pretty solid, but they lost Mike McGlinchley. We'll talk about him in a minute. And Kyle Jusic, the fullback, one of the better ones in the league. He's another guy that always seems to get us. He's just a difficult guy to deal with, big fullback, active in the passing game. As I mentioned, decimated by injuries last year. This year, not nearly as bad, but they have lost some key guys. Mike McGlinchley and Jason Barrett being the key guys. I think Barrett was one of the better cover corners in the league. He did a great job against the Rams last year. He's out for the year. Javon Kinlaw is out. Dre Greenlaw, D. Ford, and Mostert, I mentioned, are all out as well. So this team has some injury issues. Nothing like last year, though. Ram Connections. This will be Samson Ebukan's first game against the Rams. What are my fearsome four keys to the game? Well, fearsome key number one is slow down Kittle. That guy always gets us. He's really the primary thing we have to worry. I mean, Debo Samuel's very good too, but Kittle is the guy that seems to always hurt us. We can't let that happen. He's going to get his catches. He's going to get his yards. Just don't let him have a monster game. Fearsome key number two, protect Stafford, especially after last week. Bosa's going to get after him. I'm sure they saw some stuff on the Ram Titan tape that's going to help them, especially against empty sets. Got to get back to protecting Stafford. This offensive line has done a great job all year until last week. Got to get back on track there. And fearsome key number three, likewise, we have to get to Jimmy G. He has some Jared Goff in him. If you Put some pressure on him. He gets flustered and he makes mistakes. we got to make sure that happens. With McGlinchley out, we should be able to get that done. Especially if Von Miller plays. We won't know until right before game time in all likelihood, but this is what we brought him in here for, right? This defensive line with Aaron Donald, Leonard Floyd, and now Von Miller, we better be able to get to Jimmy G, especially with McGlinchley out. And for some key number four, now I usually avoid calling out the obvious. In every game, you want to avoid turnovers, pick sixes, kick returns, those types of things. But 
But for this game, I'm going to call that out. Fearsome key number four. Hey, how about no pick sixes, no turnovers deep in our end, no trick play surrendered that cost us a possession? Pretty simple stuff. Pretty basic stuff. Let's get that done. My prediction last week, I had the Rams 27, Titans 20. I'm going with the exact same score. Rams 27, Niners 20. I think the Rams could potentially blow the Niners out. I think they're going to be primed for a big game. Niners are a little bit in disarray, but it's a divisional game. I think the Niners will find a way to keep it close. Hopefully it's not tighter than that. It would be really nice to see the Rams open up a 14-point lead in the fourth quarter so we can all relax and enjoy the evening. Not counting on that happening, though. Rams 27, Niners 20. And how sweet would it be if the Rams win this game and Green Bay beats Seattle, the Rams would be five games up on the Seahawks and the Niners. I'm pretty sure that has never happened since Seattle joined the NFC West. Football fans, who's ready to score some free bets? New customers who bet just $1 on either team to score can win $100 in free bets. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Bet $1 on either team to score and win $100 in free bets. If they score, you score with promo code TBPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problems? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Time for our Rams Up Straight Up Game Picks. But first, let's get through our Elite 8 Plus 2 Rankings. Now, remember, prior to the season, my Super Bowl picks were the Bills and the Rams. And I still feel pretty strong about that. And I feel pretty confident that the Super Bowl will be played between the Bills and either the Rams, the Packers, or the Bucks. Now, sure, other teams have a great shot. But those are the four teams I'm leaning on right now. The Bills against the Rams, Bucks, or Packers. Funny thing is, three of those teams lost last week, and the other one didn't play. So three of them are going to take a hit in these rankings, but I still expect them to be there in the end. These rankings are a snapshot of right now where these teams deserve to be ranked. Number one, I have the Arizona Cardinals. Hard to argue with that, right? Eight and one, kicking the Niners' butts without their starting quarterback. I think they deserve the number one spot. If the Rams had beaten the Titans, 
I would have had them here. Number two, the Green Bay Packers. Now, how can I say the Packers after a loss? Well, they were without Aaron Rodgers, perhaps the most gifted quarterback in the league. Let's not fool ourselves. The Packers, right now, might be the second best team in the league, provided Aaron Rodgers is on the field. Number three, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They had a bye, standing pat. They're a threat to go to the Super Bowl, that's for sure. Number four, the Los Angeles Rams. And number five, the Tennessee Titans. Now, how does that make any sense to you? Well, I think the Rams played poorly, especially along the offensive line. I think the Titans have very few ways that they can win a game without Derrick Henry. One of the ways they can win a game is getting gifted 14 points. That's not going to happen every week. The Rams played the Titans tomorrow. I'm pretty sure they would handle them pretty well. So I got the Rams four, Tennessee Titans five. Number six, the Baltimore Ravens. Number seven, the Buffalo Bills. They took a bad loss to the Jags, though. Still, kind of like the Rams, they have their bad moments, but they're a very good football team. Number eight, the Dallas Cowboys, another team that lost, but that offense is really scary. Just didn't do much last week. So that closes out my Elite Eight, and plus two, I got the New England Patriots and Los Angeles Chargers. The Patriots just won't go away. Looks like they're climbing back into the playoff picture, finding ways to win games. Hate to say it, but things are looking up for them. And the Los Angeles Chargers getting a big last-second win over the Eagles in first place in the AFC West, tied with the Raiders, winning a game on a last-second field goal, something you would never say about the Chargers in years gone by. So that's my Elite Eight plus two, and as for my game picks, my survivor pick was the Bills, so I'm done. You won't be hearing any more survivor picks from me if you were coming to this podcast for guidance on survivor picks and bets. God help you. I also got my bet wrong. I took the Raiders to cover, and they outright lost, so that was a bad day all around as far as my survivor pick and my bet. My bets of the week, I'm going to make two bets this week because I'm falling behind. I'm going to do the same thing I do in Vegas. I go in the red, I double down. Nothing like getting free financial advice for your next trip to Vegas, eh? I'm taking the Saints plus three over the Titans, and I'm taking Washington plus ten over the Bucks. Those are my two bets. See how I did last week straight up? I went eight and six, which is actually pretty good considering that Pete Prisco went 7-7 seven and seven and Mike Florio went 6-8. and eight. I still lost a game to Lorenzo Reyes, but on the year, 82 correct, 48 wrong, 63% correct. And that's kind of where I set the bar. Got to really shoot for over 60% on this. And right now, I'm a little bit above that. This week, what are my Rams up straight up picks? Ravens at Dolphins. I'm going with the Ravens. Saints at Titans. Everybody's going to be all over the Titans this week. I see it another way. I'm going with the Saints. That Titan offense without Henry looked pretty dismal last week. Saints defense is pretty strong. I'm going to go with the Saints. Bills at Jets. 
So were the Bills looking ahead to the Jets when they lost to the Jags? I certainly hope not. But they'll win this one. Bills over Jets. Browns versus Patriots. Interesting game. Browns looked awfully good last week. Patriots, as I said, things looking up for them. But I'm going to go with the Browns. Jags at Colts. I'll take the Colts. Falcons at Cowboys. Cowboys bounce back at home. Take the win. Lions at Steelers. Lions coming off a bye week. Do they have anything special planned for the Steelers? Not sure. It will matter. I'll take the Steelers. Bucks at Redskins. I'm going to take the Bucks, but as I said, Redskins to cover getting 10 points. So rematch of last year's playoff game. Panthers at Cardinals. Cardinals continue to roll. Vikings at Chargers. Another interesting game. Vikings trying to stay alive in this wildcard hunt. Right now, I believe they would be the seventh seed, the final wildcard team. I'm going to take the Chargers at home, though. Should be a lot of purple in the stands there. Seahawks at Packers. That spread kind of has me scared. Why are the Packers only favored by three? I thought it would be more. Does Vegas know something we do not? I'm still taking the Packers. Eagles at Broncos. Broncos at home coming off that big win. That defense is going to be stoked. They're going to get another win. Chiefs at Raiders. Man, another tough one to pick. This is a big game. If the Chiefs win this game, they're back in the discussion about first place in the AFC West. I'm going to take the Chiefs on the road. I may end up regretting that. And the Rams at the Niners. The Rams will win that game, and we can say, henceforth, the Rams own the Niners. Those are my Rams straight-up picks for this week. Coming up, we will have our who's pumped, who's pissed, and who's perplexed, followed by a special sports pet peeve. Haven't done this in a while, thought we'd bring it back. Whose fans are pumped, whose fans are pissed, and whose fans are perplexed? So it's a little bit of fun to do this. And we have some great candidates all the way around. Who's pumped? Well, Cardinals fans, Titans fans, and Browns fans all have to be pumped. The Cardinals go into San Francisco without their star quarterback, Kyler Murray, without their best receiver, DeAndre Hopkins, and take care of business, really thrash the 49ers, steamroll them to improve to 8-1. and one. You know, the, the biggest concern in Cardinal camp is always the health of Kyler Murray. His play and style, I've always said, I think that's the chink in their armor. Kyler gets banged up. What does that offense look like when he's got a twisted ankle or he can't play? Well, it didn't look too bad without him, so Cardinals fans have to be pumped about that. They still need a healthy Kyler Murray, but still pumped about their performance without their quarterback. The Titans, they lose the best running back in the league, Derrick Henry. Their offense goes through him almost entirely. Everything revolves around him. What's going to happen when they don't have him anymore? Well, it was a pretty good result for them against the Rams. Now, I'm going to say Titans fans should still be concerned Their offense was still a problem without Henry. There wasn't much I saw that I liked 
out of that team against the Rams defense. But nonetheless, Titans fans have to be pumped. They get another win against another solid team on the road without their best player. And the Browns, they lose Odell Beckham Jr. Now, this is a case of addition by subtraction, but still, how would this team perform without this wide receiver? What's the way forward for the Cleveland Browns? What kind of team are they? Everybody's still trying to figure them out. Well, they pummeled a divisional opponent, the Bengals, improved to 5-4 and four in that highly competitive AFC North. So Browns fans are pumped. Jags have to be pumped, get a win against the team that I think is the class of the AFC. Jags beat the Bills. Got to be pumped, right? If I was a Jags fan, I'd be pumped. I don't care where we're going this year. Some signs of life against a really good team. Falcons fans have to be pumped. This is the type of game they usually lose. That game against the Saints last week. Give up a late lead, but they come back and steal the win against the Saints. So unfalcon-like for that to happen. So they got to be pumped. And Chargers fans, their kicker wins it with a last-second field goal. They're on top of the AFC West now. Chargers fans have to be pumped. And Broncos fans, that defense, no Von Miller anymore. He hasn't played that much this year anyways, but still, they throw a first-half shutout against the Cowboys. One of the more electric offenses in the league. That Bronco defense, man, you got to be pumped about that team right now. You know, they started out 3-0, went on a little skid. Maybe it was a mirage. And then they come out with an effort like that. That AFC West, it's a logjam. Broncos are still alive. And who's pissed? Well, the Niners have to be pissed. If I were them, I would be pissed. Niner fans, their team has lost 10 out of 11 home games. Why are we even going to these games anymore? They're probably asking. That team has no excuses for being 3-5. and five. They had high hopes. I thought they were going to be very good this year. And hey, there's still time, but their fans have to be pissed. Packers fans have to be pissed. Packers fans have to be pissed mainly at their quarterback, I think. Costing them any chance of a win at Kansas City. If I was a Packers fan, I would be awfully pissed at Aaron Rodgers right now. Las Vegas Raider fans, I mean, they're pissed, but they're not sure who to be pissed at. First, it's Gruden getting shamed out of the league. Then it's Henry Ruggs, the horrible accident costing a young lady, her life. And then this video of Damon Arnett. I mean, that was that's a really bad look. They had to cut him. So this Raider team, things were looking so good for them. And then all this has happened in a relatively short time. All is not lost for the Las Vegas Raiders, but those fans have to be pissed. Just not sure who to be pissed at. They might want to be pissed at their GM. Now, I know... Bears fans are pissed. And they're not pissed at their team. They're pissed at that refereeing debacle against the Steelers. You know, the Rams got it bad on Sunday night. The Bears got it twice as bad on Monday night. And that's a bad look for the league. Two primetime games back-to-back. Just horrible officiating. Really strange stuff. Might have cost the Bears a win. 
And Saints fans are pissed. And you know what? They're not pissed about losing to the Falcons. I think they can roll with that tough divisional loss without their starting quarterback. But they're pissed about these fines handed out to the Packers. The Saints got nailed pretty good last year for COVID infractions, COVID protocol infractions. Multiple offenses, they all added up. The Packers get a $300,000 fine. Aaron Rodgers gets a $14,000 fine. Really, pennies for him. And they're calling Aaron Rodgers' infraction a single infraction. I, I believe that's how they're treating it because the Saints got fined hundreds of thousands of dollars and the players got fined as well because each incident was treated as a single infraction. But Aaron Rodgers, not so much. So if I'm a Saints fan, I'm pissed at the NFL office for how they handled the Packers' infractions in comparison to how the Saints were punished. I know Mike and Ogden is pissed. I can guarantee you that. And who's perplexed? Well, three teams, Cowboys, Bills, and Rams, their fans are all perplexed. As a Ram fan, I'm perplexed. I'm perplexed about how poorly we protect at Stafford. And I'm also perplexed by that decision by Stafford to avoid the safety and throw the interception and that horrible pass in the flat. little perplexed, mostly about the offensive line. I think Stafford will be fine. Quarterbacks have bad moments. Hopefully he can minimize those moving forward, but a little worried about our offensive line and pass protection. Looking for improvement next week. Bills fans have to be perplexed. I mean, what the heck? Losing to the Jags. Really strange. Did not see that coming, as my survivor pick indicated. I mean, this is a team I am picking to go to the Super Bowl still, and they lose to the Jags. They're actually giving the Patriots hope in that division? Not a good thing. And Cowboys fans have to be perplexed. I mean, the team has done so well throughout the course of the season. This loss does not warrant being pissed. But you have to be a little perplexed that this offense looks so anemic against, granted, a really good defense. But good offenses should produce more than that. I mean, this is not the steel curtain they are going against. This is not the fearsome foursome, not the purple people leaders. It's just a really good defense. And if you're a really good offense, let's put two or three touchdowns up on the board when it matters. So that's who's pumped and pissed and perplexed. Hope you enjoy. I wanted to sneak in a pet peeve here because it really needs to be discussed. It's pretty timely. Actually, I'm a little bit late on this. I'm referring to the Oklahoma-Iowa State football game held October 23rd. In that game, Iowa State quarterback Brock Purdy hit Xavier Hutchinson for a 54-yard touchdown. And as Hutchinson neared the end zone, he slowed down and kind of did what I would call a half-high step, kind of a skip into the end zone. It was barely noticeable. I guess you could say he was starting to celebrate. And what happened? You guessed it. Flag comes out for taunting. They called that celebrating, and it's definitely against the rules if you interpret that as taunting slash celebrating. I won't get into all 
the paragraphs within that rule, but one item in that is an unopposed ball carrier obviously altering his stride as he approaches the opponent's goal line or diving into the end zone. So Mr. Hutchinson clearly violated this rule, right? I'm going to say no, he did not clearly violate this rule. If you watch this real time or on tape, slow motion, watch it however you want. He's obviously recognized that he's about to score a touchdown and he just slows down and does a little half high step skip across the goal line. And that's it. And that's all he did. Now, I'm going to place the blame on the NCAA and the referee 50-50 here. Number one, this rule is still a little bit vague. Altering your stride? Is that just slowing down? Is it doing a high step? High steps have always been acceptable as far as I'm concerned. It's something ball carriers did to avoid being caught from behind, tripped by their heels or feet. And if it just so happens that, hey, guess what? There was nobody near you. There was no need to high step. You're showing off your taunting 15-yard penalty. So they said this penalty occurred at the three. Iowa lost the touchdown, pushed him back to the 18, and fortunately they scored. But still, what if they had not? And they ended up winning that game, thankfully. So again, 50-50 blame here. One on the rules. I think personally they should take that out. Allow altering your stride as you approach the opponent's goal line. Go ahead, boys. Alter your stride all day long. I'm cool with it. And the other part of the blame goes on the ref. He's got to see this for what it is. The guy, he's doing a half-high step. He's not taunting anybody. I'm sure Noam was offended. And I can guarantee you in his mind, that was not his intent. Maybe go up to him and warn him. He said, be careful there. That was close to a full high step. Full high step, you're getting a flag. Or something to that effect. God, I have no idea what the answer here is. But I mean, God help us all if we have to even be discussing this. It certainly does not warrant a penalty, and anybody watching that would agree. That's going to do it for this episode. Two things I do not know at this time. Are Von Miller and OBJ going to play on Monday night? Can't wait to find out. And it looks like my Thursday night pick, the Ravens, are going down as we speak. Remember, you can reach us at ramsuppodcast at gmail.com. You can visit our website at laramsup.com. And don't forget to subscribe and give us that five-star rating. It's greatly appreciated. And remember, keep the horns up, stay safe, and have fun out there. Music courtesy of bensound.com and the YouTube royalty-free music audio library. Crimson Fly by Hama Hama. <laughs>